This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Okay, well, I'm Matt Ryan, uh, director of the Polytheater and host of Script to Screen. Thank you all for coming. I, Tanya, is a really special script, very unconventional as the real-life characters it portrays. So grab your skates and your lead pipes and let's break down the script. Please welcome the UCSB Polytheater stage, writer-producer, Stephen Rogers. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so I thought we'd ease into the Q&A, um, kind of give you a little softball question. Don't start anything controversial. Okay. Did Tanya Harding know that, uh, <laughs> that they were going to smash Nancy Kerrigan's knee? Uh, she says she did not. <laughs> Actually, Jeff said that she did not also. They both, I mean, that, you know, she was thrilled to hear that Jeff said that because they don't speak anymore. So, uh, well, let's go back to, let's go back way back to the beginning. What was your initial inspiration to do, uh, want to tell the Tanya Harding story? Um, I, I mean, I, it wasn't on purpose. Uh, I, my niece was over, and there was a documentary on 30 for 30, uh, and she had never heard of Tanya Harding. And I just thought, oh my God, this is going to be crazy. And so I watched this documentary that Nanette Burstein did. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, in it, there was just stuff that interested me about class in America and about what we tell women they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, and the things that we tell ourselves in order to be able to live with ourselves. Um, and I just thought, well, you know, there's a lot there. And so I, I went on to the Tanya Harding website, as you do, <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to see if the life rights were available, so I called the number for her agent and it was a Motel 6. <laughs> oh, <God>. yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, I'm so in. <laughs> like, I don't know if this is ever going to be a movie, but my life is going to be so much more interesting if I do this. And I tracked down Tanya Harding. And I, and I just wormed my way in, and I got her to agree to an interview, which was so crazy because I've never interviewed anybody. And then I tracked down Jeff Galuli in a minute, because you can on the internet, I knew that he changed his name to Jeff Stone after he got out of prison because he didn't want anyone to know that he was Jeff Galuli anymore. But he moved right back to his same hometown. (laughs) So everybody knew (laughs) that he was Jeff Galuli. So he didn't really think that through. But once I interviewed both of them, uh, their stories were just so wildly mm-hmm. contradictory. They did not remember anything the same. And I thought, well, that's, that's my way in. I'll just put everybody's point of view up there and let the audience decide you know, what they believe. So what was your first initial reaction to Tanya when you first sat down with her? What was what kind of... Uh... It was surreal. It was very surreal because I did not talk to her uh, before I met her. I, I flew to Sisters, Oregon, where she was living at the time, have you ever been to Sisters, Oregon? I have not. Well, if you ever do, just make the best of it. <laughs> That's what I did. Uh, and uh, she picked me up in her truck at, at my lodge, because you stay in lodges in Sisters. Uh, 
and I couldn't get in the truck because there's no passenger door handle. So I just kind of stood there stupidly, like, <laughs> I can't get in. And then uh, I, we, we had lunch together, and we just started talking right off. And the first time I met her, it was just to see if we liked each other. You know, and then once uh, she got a lawyer to do the, the life rights, which took forever because she didn't want to pay anybody because she didn't have any money. And so she wanted someone to do it for free, and no one wanted to do it for free. I mean, it was like a big, long thing. But while that was going on, I was doing all this research, so it actually was, was fine. And then once I got the life rights, I went back and interviewed her over a few-day period. And what about Jeff? What was your first initial reaction when you struck when you met Jeff? He, first of all, I was so surprised that he agreed to an interview because he's never given an interview before where he's commented on how everything went down. He's given an interview to, uh, like, where are they today? You know, that kind of thing. Sure. And he was a commentator for hard copy, but he's never said his point of view ever. And I, I don't know why he said yes. I think it's because his wife liked Hope Floats, which was another movie I wrote a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, so maybe she made him say yes. And I met him at a restaurant, and I met Tanya at restaurants, too, because I feel like people talk easier if there's food. You know? uh-huh. uh, and uh, he wasn't a bit like the media portrayed him at all. Um, and I was telling you before, like he wouldn't take any money for life rights or for anything, because he said, you know, it was his idea to call in a death threat, which is what he says happened, and Tanya never would have thought of that, and he said it ruined her career, and I don't want to make any money, and to this day, he's never taken a dime, not a dime, which wow. isn't how he's portrayed at all. Um, I, I, I genuinely liked him, you know, well, but I mean, nothing was the same. They didn't remember anything. <laughs> for their first date, Tanya said that they went to go see a, uh, a movie called Running Scared, and uh, uh, her, her dad went with them. And then Jeff said that they went and had dinner, and, and, and the mom went with, and uh, she's tried to steal all these chicken parts in her purse. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, what do I do with all this, you know? <laughs> I saw Running Scared, actually. <laughs> well, it's ironic, right? Yeah. I because that's where they went on my first date, Running Scared. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a little about screenwriting rules, uh, a couple of rules you broke, but we'll start with the first one. Okay. First rule of screenwriting is you have one protagonist's point of view. Let's just go with one. But you decide to have Jeff and Tanya's conflicting POVs. Did you struggle in structuring the screenplay and how to balance the two perspective? Well, I mean, you struggle with everything. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really come easy to me. So that's just part of it, like the struggle. So that's nothing. You know, that's nothing. Um, in terms of the, the, the structure of it and the rule breaking, uh, I felt like all the characters were rebels and they're all rule breakers and they're all very wrong headed, you know. And so I wanted the screenplay to break the rules and, and be rebellious. And so I wanted to do all the things that the studio people who are not screenplay writers, you know, tell you you can't do. So I, I wanted to break the fourth wall. I wanted Allison to, at one point, criticize the screenplay, that her storyline is disappearing. <laughs> you know, Because if, if this had been a studio movie, that would never have survived. So I knew that I had to do it independently, just because of the tone of it. Right. Now, if you ever want to challenge me in a Q&A and break the fourth wall and talk directly to the documentary <laughs> camera, that's your camera, so stare directly at it. <laughs> You'll be good. Um. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But it's interesting because you have you have well, other kind of rules. You have documentary has its own set of rules, and narrative 
how did you construct weaving in the documentary directly into the narrative? It was well, I mean, I got that idea when I interviewed Tanya and Jeff because what they were doing really was trying to control the narrative. Right. Everybody is, you know. I mean, Sean's trying to control it. Jeff's trying to control it. The mom's, you know. And, and that is really a lot of what the movie is about. It's about what we tell ourselves so we can live with ourselves and, you know, and, and get eight hours of sleep a night, you know, and, and then you start to believe it. I, I, you know, it's like the longer, I think Colette said, the longer you wear fake pearls, the realer they become, oh. you know, and, and that's, that's certainly true with every, all, all the characters. But I think that's very, very human. I don't think it's particular to these people. Yeah, it's interesting because the traditional script would have just had documentary style, they tell their story for 10 minutes and you go with the other ones, but having your characters respond directly into the other story yeah. was, a, was a... I thought I was supposed to be original. <laughs> Isn't that what we're supposed to do? That's what I was trying to do. All right, we talked a little about, you know, back in the green room, but obviously Itania was a sort of the script. Uh, what was about Margot Robbie that made you decide she's going to be the one I team up with and become a producing partner because it was more than, you know... I'm sure wanted to do it. <laughs> so that was good. Um, this is how that happened. Uh, a neighbor of mine, Jill McElroy, is a manager at 360, and that's where Margot is represented. Um, she lives on my street. Uh, Jill came to a party at my house once and never left. <laughs> she's like, she's there <laughs> on my street. And she just heard me talking about, when I was writing it, you know, meeting Tanya Harding, meeting Jeff Galuli, and, and all this stuff. And she said, well, let me read it when, you know, when you're finished. And so I gave it to her. And you know, she was the one who said, you know who would be really good for this? And I was like, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> 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 and she was like, no, Margot Robbie. And I was like, Margot Robbie? It's like, she's too pretty, you know? Uh, and she was like, no, we'll ugly her up. Well, <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, but I was like, well, you know, we're not, we're not there yet. I'm, I'm, I was looking for producing partners at that mm. time. And, and Jill said, well, can I just give her the script? And I said, well, can I stop you? Because I know you're going to. <laughs> and uh, the day after I picked Brian Unkless to partner up with to produce the movie, we heard that Margot wanted to do it. And uh, would we meet with her? It's like, well, that's an easy meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then we met with her. And what was interesting was, you know, you, do, uh, uh, you try and make them feel comfortable, not like they're auditioning or anything. And we, we, we met, and we were just talking. And when I brought up the real Tanya Harding, there was this intensity behind her eyes. And, she was, and, and it was different than just when we were talking. But it was also the same intensity that Tanya had when I was talking to her about the triple. You know? uh-huh. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. You know? <laughs> and she's also, you know, there are very few actors who can do comedy really well that are character-based. Yeah. That's what Margot does, you know? And, and can also do drama really well. And so, I mean, it was a, we were lucky to have her. Because, I mean, how good is she in this movie? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, if Margot was so great to you, do you have any guilt in writing in that terrible 80s hairstyle that she had to endure the whole movie? No. <laughs> no guilt at all. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was fun to watch all that. And Margot was okay with the bangs? She loves all that stuff. All that stuff, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the hair and makeup people were so good. You know, oh, I mean, you look, at, you look at Margot just even from behind, you know, it looks like Tanya Harding. Yeah. You know? 
And in fact, that she was 15 to 44. Yeah. And at no point you bought it, and she just kind of, they made it, they pulled it off, and the uh, braces were a good touch, though. Yeah. All right. Uh, director? Still, by the way, I still do that all the time. You know, the first time you saw her at 15 is in that skating rink, you know, and she goes at that one skater, and she's like, you're in my <laughs> way. I do that in traffic all the time now. <laughs> I have Margot's voice, you know, with those braces. You know, in my way. Now, director Greg Gillespie directed one of my favorite movies, Lars and the Real Girl. Yeah. Love that movie. Me too. What was the initial meeting with Greg, like, Craig. about your script, like, Tanya? Craig. Craig, sorry. Uh, well, this was, like, the thing. I mean, this was, it was very unusual. The script, you know, I mean, it just had a life of its own. You know, like people really wanted it, and in terms of directors, it wasn't the thing where you usually what you do is you you give it to a director, and then you wait. You know, this was not that. People were chasing it. I mean, Brian and I met uh, initially, you know, like forty different directors, and it was amazing because you just meet all these really talented people who you know uh, who want to be artists and want. I mean, it's like oh my god, it just opens up your world, especially if you're a screenwriter and you do it alone. You know, it's like, it's like, oh my God. Um, and everyone, I mean, so many people were so talented and were so good. And they would tell you how they would do it. And, it, and everyone was like, oh, I really like them, but. Oh. And everyone had a but, you know. And then Brian said, would you meet with Craig Gillespie? I was like, yeah, of course, of course. But didn't seem particularly excited about it, to be honest, you know. And I met with Craig and it was like this three-hour meeting where I was like, he was like talking about the tone of it and talking about the pace of it and talking about how he would shoot it. And it was so specific and just so exactly how I saw it too. But, but Brian didn't seem that interested. You know, he didn't seem that excited. So I, and I was like, this is the guy. I think this is the guy after meeting all these people. And I called Brian up. And I said, Brian, I think this is the guy. I, like he went right to the top of my list. And Brian said, well, good. I'm so glad you feel that way because cause that's how we feel too. Him and Scott Morgan is, is producing partner. I was like, well, Brian, you don't sound excited at all. And he was like, well, we didn't want to influence you. And I was like, Jesus, I was totally prepared to influence you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> He's so much nicer than I am. <laughs> and that's how, it, I don't think a lot of these, we have aspiring screenwriters here, don't realize that a lot of times the writer does not have the opportunity no, no. to connect with the director, all be on the same page, or, you know. It was because I was producing this movie, too. Yeah. That was the only reason. Uh, I, I've had other movies made, and I've never been on the set. You know, and it's not, it's not because, oh, I'm so terrible. I didn't even meet them, you know. So, they, I mean, if they met me and thought I was terrible, that was one thing. But, uh, no, it, that, I had to become a producer to have a seat at the table. Some, some, some directors aren't like that. And, I, you know, I mean, I think Alan Ball was there for American Beauty and had this great experience. Well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have that. The, uh, all right, so Levana, Jeff, and Tanya all think themselves of the hero, the victim, and take no responsibility for what they, you know, part they play. Were you concerned how these traits make it difficult to find the humanity in each of the characters in your scripts? No, I felt that was very human. You know, so I, I was, I, I'm all for that. I like messy. You know, if it's all just nice, <laughs> you know, it's not that interesting. The messy part is the part that's interesting. I like Tanya's opening. Uh, you know, she makes no apology of being poor and a redneck, but she ends with F them since she can do the triple axel no other woman could do. Uh, was that something you landed on originally in opening a screenplay, or did that yeah. emerge from you no, through Southern Grass? That was the very first. I, I pretty much write in order. Um, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's just what I do. And that was, that just, that, that was the first day. That's what came out. Is that something that frees you up as a writer when you know you have that opening? That yes. kind of like you can not wander or... 
once I have, you have the foundation, for me anyway, it's like the first, you know, 10 pages or 20 pages, whatever. And the temptation, anyway, is to go back and rewrite it and rewrite it because it's easier to rewrite than come up with something new. Right. You know, so, I mean, that's, but I, you try and just get it all out, but you never really do. And what, uh, we talked a little bit about Margot as a producer, but let's talk a little actress because she kind of had, you know, a lot on her plate doing the two hats. Uh, what was it? Uh, what did she have any notes? What she? What was she concerned about? Like develop, discovering her character. Uh, she didn't really have a lot of, of, of script notes. Uh, she was really happy with the script, which is great. <laughs> you know, you're a writer. Um, it was. It was more. You know, she was just more concerned with doing her job. You know, and learning to skate. I mean, she could skate already, but she couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> like banging into a wall to stop. So she had to learn that, you know, and then look what she ended up doing. But this girl is a worker. She is a workhorse, you know. She was doing the skating, you know, she got married and, you know, before her wedding, the night before the wedding she was doing it, you know, before Christmas Eve she was, you know, in the ice rink. I mean, and then on set, it was amazing to see because she's in, in so many scenes and she'll be doing it. No fuss, no no dramatics, no like behind the scenes, nothing. She's there to work, you know, and everyone was because we had, I think, 256 scenes, which is a, a lot. Most are maybe 160. This is like 265 or something in 31 days, plus two Olympics, you know, all the skating stuff. I mean, it was a lot. We had to go really fast. Craig likes that. Um, and Margot, as a producer, you know, she would be in the scene, you know, being Tanya Harding, they would say cut. She's back to being Australian Margot, <laughs> trying to get music, you know, for the movies. We need you back on set. There she is, you know, being Tanya Harding. It was just like, like you're a unicorn. You know, who are you? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. And we do. I mean, you, I mean, you show in the film, Tanya Harding is, was arguably one of the greatest skaters that ever lived. I mean, she, to play that and pull that physicality off, to me, was amazing. Yeah, it was interesting to hear her talk about it, too. You know, I mean, she, I mean, she just does the work. Now, we'll talk a little about Jeff. I mean, he had the great line, you know, it's kind of cool that his name is a verb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, did you also find his voice early on, too? Is it the same kind of process? Well, again, or? I interviewed him. So, I mean, I did. You know, I, uh, I don't know why I had... Uh, this is not my background. I'm not, I, I, you know, my father produced regional theater <laughs> for a living, you know. We went, we just moved wherever he had a season. Wow. So it was like being an army brat, but with theater, <laughs> you know, which was ridiculous. But it wasn't like Oregon, you know, redneck. It was not at all. It was backstage. So I don't know why I understood those voices, you know, so much, but I did. I loved the cadence that they had, you know, when Tanya would just say something really simple, like, I remember Jeff and Mai's first date. Oh, I loved that. <laughs> Jeff and Mai's, you know. <laughs> So it's like I, I kind of fell in love with that. So I, I understood their their voices pretty. I don't know why. I just I just did. Now Sebastian, of course, had a very special challenge because you know his character beat Tanya in the movie and stuff like that. What what uh, what stood out for you in his performance? Uh, your performing scripted character. He brought to it. Well, it's interesting because during the audition process, a lot of people, you know, a lot of famous, good-looking actors just kind of came in. They all just talk like this, you know, and they were just kind of like modeling around like this. And I was like, what the hell are they doing? You know? <laughs> and, and the actors who came in playing the characters were, were, I mean, they just jumped out at you. 
what what Sebastian did, he really played the tone of it in his audition. Like he was scary, and he, then he was funny, and he did this one improvise, and he wasn't at all shy with Margot, you know, because they did chemistry reads towards the end when we were deciding, you know, like who was going to do it. And I mean, he would like throw her around, and like you know, some people were afraid to touch her because you know you don't they don't know each other. But he was he was all in, and she loved that. And then there's the scene after like he shoots her, and they're, the the police pull them over. And I think the line was was something like you know if you say if you say a word I'm going to kill you, and that was the end of the scene. And he said if you say a word I'm going to kill you, and then he leans in and he just like kisses on her, you know. Right. And it was so that's exactly what you know. And that wasn't in the script. That was just like him as as an actor. And we we're like, well, that's it, isn't it? You know? Seems like you. I mean, you had a lot of talented actors. He was just the one that got it. Yeah, got the part. Oh, know? unquestionably, unquestionably. Yeah. Same with Paul. Who played the, John, the the bodyguard? All right, so uh, we'll talk. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely be t- we'll be talking some Sean soon because we can't we can't ignore that awesome character. Uh, what were the challenges of creating the character Levana and her six husband, the bird? <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't get to talk to Levana. Mm. Uh, because Tanya said that she didn't know whether uh, Levana, her mom, was dead or alive, and she didn't care. Uh, um, and she didn't know what name she was using, which is oh well, that's something. Uh, and so I really just wrote the part for Alice and Janney because I've known Alice and Janney since God was a small child. I've known her <laughs> since I was seventeen years old, um, and it it always bothered me that you know I because I, I think she's one of the best actors that we have. Period. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't getting parts in movies where she could really do what, what she can do. She can do it on TV, and she can do it on, on stage, on Broadway, but she wasn't getting those movie parts, and she really just kind of thought, well, it's not going to happen for me in movies. Um, and I tried to get her in movies before, but they would never cast her, including the, you know, the movie I had right beforehand. I wrote a part for her. She wanted to do it. The director wanted her, and just some idiot in charge said no. And so on this one, when I, it was a spec script, which means no one paid me to write it, I did it myself, and then we went out, and if someone wants it, you know, they can bid on it, and if more than one, you get a bidding war, then you have more control, and you have more say in how it goes down. So the first thing I said was, Allison Janney is playing the part that I wrote for her, and I want it in writing, or I will not come in to meet you. And she won an Oscar. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> But talk that about that was crazy, by the way. <laughs> crazy. Well, let's talk about it because we talked about character openings. I mean, the first five minutes of the movie, she you know busts onto this with her three year old daughter to take on the coach. She kicks the eight year old Tanya out of the chair. Yep. Uh, she beats her with a broom. She you know well doesn't let the twelve year old Tanya go to the bathroom. All this stuff, not so nice. Uh, what was, was, how did Allison work to try to find the humanity in that character? Because especially her, she was... Well, also, you know, what's, what's interesting is when we opened the film in Toronto, nobody knew anything about it, and that was very intentional. We didn't want there to be pictures of it. We didn't want, you know, we wanted to surprise people because Tanya's a very polarizing character, and we didn't want, you know, we didn't want anyone to, to know what we were up to. Um, so at first they didn't really know what to make of it. They didn't know are you, are we going to be laughing? Is it like a drama? Is what? But because Allison is so good, especially in those beginning scenes, that 
everyone was in. They were just in because she's like so so funny and so wrong and so you know all all the stuff that you, that you want. I mean, she found the humanity by just saying, "Well, what's her point of view?" You know, and what happened to her beforehand. From her point of view, she's up at five thirty in the morning, making her costumes, driving her to practices. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, and to her, her to Tanya, she's a monster. It's like, what'd she do? You know. So you're saying, in a lot of ways, Levana's character set the tone for you, actually, because she does have a lot of dominate the earlier scenes uh, until we get yeah, to the and I was and I and I knew I was writing for Allison, you know, and so that that was very helpful. So I knew. And you know she can pull it off since you have a relationship with her writing character. Oh, like I, that. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. I know, you know. So, so yeah, I know what I think she does. You know, really well. Uh, one of the scenes that actually impacted me the most was Margot. I mean, Levana throws a knife into Tanya's arm. Uh, how much did their facial uh, expressions convey what you originally intended in the script? Because just the stillness of their looks, almost like the scene to me, just like wow, blew me away. Um. I, I I don't really remember what I I mean I I remember that like she threw the knife and you know and I I think I said something it was in the stage directions about you know there's a there's a beat and like you know when and Tanya like slowly moves towards her so I mean that's Margot's acting it's in the script I mean everybody elevated everybody you know so it's in there but it's also elevated by Allison going like oh shit. What did I just do? You know, and that was actually that was the moment where the most sympathy came from because Allison was the first time she actually you saw guilt or feeling bad for just in Allison's eyes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was intentional. After that, that you know, horrific thing, then you have to have something, a comedic moment right. to you know to release it. You know, to let the audience release that. Now it was a nice little touch when we had the moment where uh, Dad leaves. You immediately cut to her meeting Jeff. Was that intentional to kind of like lead to how she, you know she's going to go to one bad relationship to another or setting up? The... Uh, I think what I was thinking was like the dad leaves, and that's the last time we see young Tanya, like the, the little girl. Right. And then the next time we see her, this is what I was going for. <laughs> you know, the next time you see her, she's that sort of tougher. She's that's when she says, "You're in my way," you know, yeah. and she's got a hardness about her. And I want, that's what I was you know, trying to say. It's like, oh, this is who she turned into from that little girl who was like, take me with you. But it also, it lets the audience buy why she went into that bad relationship. Oh, with yeah. the abandonment issues. And... I mean, but also, you know, you know, Tanya would say to me when I was interviewing her, you know, my mom hit me, she loved me. Yeah. Jeff hit me, he loved me. Like, that's all, that's all she knew, you know. Was that difficult to balance the tones of the darker domestic abuse with the lighter tones of the humor or to counterbalance them? No, I really got the tone. I wrote it. <laughs> you know, so I, I kind of knew what I was doing. Um, I felt like we had to show the domestic violence because if you don't, you're sort of letting them off the hook, you know, and you, you do want to show what it's like. Uh, it was never, it was always part of the story, but it was never the entertainment, you know. That, the entertainment's different. That's Sean the bodyguard. Yeah, I mean, the culmination to me was the uh, the moment of uh, when she shoots. Yeah, when uh, Jeff shoots Tanya. Yeah. And that was played really kind of, like we talked a little bit, very straight and linear. You only had a little breaking the fourth wall. Was I conscious just to focus on the seriousness of that moment? I think because a lot of that was was Craig because we, we shot stuff and we, you know, and, and we used it or didn't use it, you know, and, and also Tatiana, the editor. You know, um, I think what they they made the choice. You know, in the beginning, it's so hard to look at. You know, someone, especially someone who's so young, getting beat up. And when you talk to Tanya about it, she's very sort of removed 
from it. And so it was if you break the fourth wall and, and Tanya herself is out of the action, it removes, you know, we thought it would be easier and it removes her and it's sort of what, what she sort of feels like. But then in the second half of the movie, we, we do that a lot less. And it was Craig's call, you know, just because you, you want the audience to then, you know, really be in it more and feel it more. Yeah. yeah, but that moment where the cop abandons her actually was one that emotionally grabbed me. Yeah, a painful moment for me. She said that's that's what you tell me happened. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's a little crazy, but you know. It's uh, well. now I'm not an expert on figure skating, but when Tanya says to the judge, "Suck my blank," this is effing rigged. Yeah. I don't think that's proper etiquette in the figure skating world. Tanya actually said that they. She said she wishes she said that. <laughs> yeah, she said she, she didn't. Uh, so how much did how much you know about skating, or how much did you balance like the real life skating versus drama, dramatizing it? Or me personally? Yeah, I knew nothing about skating. <laughs> I knew nothing about it. Uh, I still don't. I mean, I, I learned and I, I asked, but I mean, really, I just kind of just watched those routines that she did and listened to them tell the stories about other figure skaters. I mean, Jeff would say, you know, it's like they all mess with each other's skates, they mess with each other's costumes. I mean, he's like, it's not. It's not all prim and proper, you know. It's, he said it's, you know, ruthless. Uh, I do like the, the scene where Tanya is blaming everybody for failing at the Olympics, but you undercut it visually yeah. by her drinking and gaining weight. Well, she does. I mean, she, she really, that's her sort of Shakespearean flaw, because she really, in real life, doesn't take responsibility for anything. You know, I mean, she was telling me how she she got a DUI, and she was she was saying I didn't even have my car keys with me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes no sense, <laughs> you know. But no, you know, so it's like you know, but she really doesn't, you know. And Jeff says, well, you know, she just that's why she hasn't really moved on because she doesn't take any responsibility. But then he doesn't always take responsibility either. So. <laughs> uh... Now it's time to talk a little about Sean. I know the audience was excited about Sean. Uh, how fun was it writing his character? Or did it just kind of write itself? Um, it was really fun because he, that is what he was like. You know, I mean, by all, by all accounts. I mean, the interview, go on YouTube, look up the Diane Sawyer interview with Sean Eckhart. And it's, you're just like, really? <laughs> really? So you could go there as long as, you know, the actor grounds it in reality. I mean... He did say he had worked for third world operatives and he had people, assassins at his fingertips. But my feeling was always that it's really funny, but I felt like he was doing it because his reality was he's 400 pounds, he lives in his parents' basement, and he's lonesome. And it was, he didn't want to deal with that, you know, so he had this fantasy life, you know, which I, I found very moving. And then, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I can relate to him a little. People can kind of not sympathize him per se, but we can actually kind of relate to that—the loneliness he had and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And preferring to live in fantasy than reality. I don't see what's so great about reality myself. I, <laughs> I prefer fantasy too. Uh, I guess it's time to talk about the incident. The, the incident. incident. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so did you, how did you approach this sequence? Did you want to balance keeping it true, or did, how much did you have to embellish for dramatic purposes? Or? Um, I mean, I, I don't know it's true. I mean, I, know, I only know what they told me. Uh, I mean, that, was pretty, that, was, that part was pretty straightforward. I mean, the, again, like, the truth is stranger than fiction. The truth is Shane, not Sean, Shane, who actually hit Nancy Kerrigan, you know, he hit her, in, and in real life, he's running out, 
and the doors are locked, and he's got the baton in his hand, but he uses his head <laughs> to smash the glass. Like, that made me want to write the movie. <laughs> and I just love the hard copy reporter saying how he drove every 15 minutes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> to, 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 to yeah, avoid suspicion. to avoid suspicion. suspicion. <laughs> I mean, you can't make that up, you know? And if I did, no one would believe it. Because, you know, fiction has to make sense, you know? Truth doesn't, you know? It can be, it can be crazy and be true. So, like, the, all the stuff that's the craziest stuff in the movies is actually the true stuff, you know? And it's like Sean's moment of saying, you know, I didn't tell anybody. And your sequence yeah. of, of, like, yeah. blabbing to everybody. Yeah. All right. Now, to refer back to quote Levana, her storyline is disappearing from this Q&A. What the F? So we're going to go back to Levana for a second. Yeah. Um, the one scene that really grabbed me, my students and I were talking about this, was you kind of suck the audience in. No, we're losing someone. We're losing oh. them. <laughs> Levana, when she goes to reach out to Tanya, we actually believe for a moment Oh, yeah. there was a connection, like a motherly daughter. And then, of course, we find out she's there to record how was that? How did that, how did you approach that scene? Because you did. We all were like, "Oh, please let this be true." Yeah. Uh, originally in the script, it was in an ice rink because that's where Tanya said that that happened. Mm. She said it happened, but we didn't have money, you know, because mm. we were a low budget independent movie, and so uh, we put it in in her her rented apartment. But it actually worked a lot better because it was so intimate there, you know. Um, I mean, that's what you want to do. You want to you want to give the audience that hope. That's like, oh, is this gonna, you know, and give Tanya the character that hope, you know. And then, according to Tanya, she was wearing the wire, you know. But here's the thing, and I don't know if, if this plays, if you get it. But I mean, after Levana is found out, I mean, she's saying, but I still meant what I said. I still meant it, and I think that is the key to to Levana. It's like, yeah, she's doing this, but she's like, but I still meant it. You know, I'm so proud of you, you know. I think that is Levana's character. That's the key right there. But it was, it was interesting because you are shifting perspectives. And I, I thought that scene, especially with the audience, was in Tanya's seat. Well, you wanted to. I wanted to. Yeah. I, wanted you, I wanted you to feel like, you know, like Tanya felt. Like, oh, my God, am I really having this moment with my mom right now? And, of course, you also, then you follow the great line, what kind of freaking person would bash in their friend's knee? <laughs> Who would do that to a friend? <laughs> and, yeah, and Marco does that just brilliantly. Now, uh, so that line kind of makes us doubt her innocence, but then you have that tender moment, which actually one of my favorites, when she talks to a little girl, Annie, just the autograph. Like you saw Tanya's face light up, that she's a star, and of course the heart, this painful scene in the court where you're taking away my yeah. dream. How did you approach Act 3 without, you didn't want to glamorize her too much, but you also didn't want to villainize her, so you were kind of swinging the pendulum. Well, again, it's that thing of just, you know, she's a, she's a, a, a messy person, you know, which, which dramatically you want, you know. No one's just one thing, you know. I'm 1,500 things right here while I'm sitting, you know, <laughs> in front of you. Uh, and so, I mean, you, you want the contrast. You want it to be messy. You don't want, you know, you want to feel bad for her. You want to, you want to be angry at her. You want to, you know, not like her. You want to like her. You want to, I mean, that's what I, I think anyway. Uh, so, quite, so what was the real, uh, real life reaction with Jeff and Tanya when they saw the movie? Um, we, we, it was very scary for, for me because I felt a big responsibility. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it has to be weird. It has to be weird when you're watching you know, uh, this very public moment in your life that really only lasted a few months. But, you know, right. We do the whole life story, but uh, 
this, I would never have let someone do a movie about me. You know, I would never, you know, and I think Tanya said yes initially because I told her I was going to do everybody's point of view, but she really wanted her point of view out there. I think she really wanted to be heard. So when she saw it for the first time, she said that, you know, she, she laughed and she cried and there was stuff that she did not like, mainly the stuff that Jeff said. Of <laughs> you know, that was from his point of view. But she was very, very, very happy. Uh, Jeff, it's like I couldn't even get him to see the movie. He was just like, oh, I'll see it when it's in the theater. You know, and I was like, Jeff, I'm not going to make you pay to see the movie. You know, <laughs> I was like, we're going we're gonna to send you a link. But I was really afraid because, you know, he says he never hit her. And, and I told him, I was like, well, you know, I do have you saying it, but we're also having you hit her. And he's like, I get it, I get it. I was like, <laughs> Is, is he going to get it, you know? Or am I going to get it, <laughs> you know? And I was, I was, I was concerned about it. Uh, and he, called, he emailed me, and he said, well, I saw the movie, finally, and I liked it way better than Hope Floats. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, me too. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's very nice, and he and his wife sent me a nice... Nope. And any of the other real life characters, like the coach or I, I you know, I, I don't think Diane I didn't talk to her. No. I, I reached out to her, she didn't want to, and I didn't I didn't push it, you know, and no, I haven't talked to her. Oh God. But we didn't know whether Lavana was dead or alive, right? So the movie comes out <laughs> and like Inside Edition, which I didn't even know was still on or something, finds her. Okay. Oh, that was an email blast day. All of us were like, she's alive! <laughs> oh my God. You know, and uh, we were all nervous about what is she going to say? What is she going to do? What is she going to be like? You know, and she was perfect. She was exactly how you imagine she's going to be. You know, she said, I care about seeing that movie like I care about dirt. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish I interviewed her. Oh my God. She said, uh, she was like, you know, no. Tanya says I was driving her to practice drunk. It's like, I was drinking brandy flavoring. <laughs> it was brandy flavoring. You can't get drunk on brandy flavoring. And I'm looking at it like, is that even a thing? <laughs> it's like, vodka flavor. You know? I was like, I mean, again, I couldn't write that. It's like, I wish I had spoken to her. You know? <laughs> Uh, so we're going to leave up to Oscar night, but what was the tour like, the premieres, being able to kind of with Allison and Margot and Cher and kind of all the, you know, the, the, the wild, crazy ride? It was fun and a half. <laughs> if you can do it, do it. <laughs> you know, I recommend it. There was just nothing. People, are, people say it's like, oh, weren't you tired? Isn't it exhausting? No. <laughs> it, was, it was so much fun. It's, it was much more fun than actually writing. But was Oscar night totally fun, or were there a lot of nerves leading up to when you arrived with Allison? Uh, Who is, you know, you guys went together. It, no, it does not disappoint. It was real, I'd I'd never been, Allison had never been. uh, And uh, it's all that, you know, it really is. You walk in, the the, the press thing is one thing, because that's, you know, stressful or weird or whatever. But you're on the red carpet, and it's all those, those people. But then when you walk into the Kodak Theater, mm. it's like you're walking into the color section of The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you're, you're just like, oh, this is like big and beautiful. And, there's, you know, and we're sitting in the second row. I'm sitting next to the Black Panther. You know? 
I mean, and then you know a lot of the people because you've been on the same train for the four months together. You know, you do the whole award circuit. But I have to say, the award circuit sort of all feels like an audition for the Oscars. Yeah. You know, because um, that that is kind of, I mean, kind of what it feels like. It's you know. But you also get to go to the BAFTAs, and you get to go to London, and they pay for everything, you know. So I mean, it's it's all really fun, and the parties are great. Um, I I really wanted Allison to be present, you know, because they mm. say it's like an out of body experience, you know, and she's the front runner, so we're hoping she's going to win, you know. Uh, and it was it was just amazing. We she the Oscars are smart because they say what the order is for every category. Yeah. The other award shows don't do that, which is why you feel like you, know, you can't go to the bathroom, you can't get up into the bar because you don't know when your, right. your category is going to come up. But they do. So you can go to the bar, you can relax, you can talk to people. You can't, if, if the show goes on and you're at the bar, you have to wait. You can't go, you can't go walking around during the Oscars. You know? And uh, so we, we were in our seats, we knew it was her category. She was just staring into my eyes you know, to yep. sort of center herself, you know, and I was staring right back, going like, I'm right there with you, I'm right there with you. Her cat, they say the nominees, you're sitting there, and it's surreal, because it all comes down to this, you mm-hmm. know? And as they were saying the nominees, I had this overwhelming feeling that it was going to Leslie Manville. <laughs> you know? uh. I was like, it's Leslie Manville! She's going to win, they're going to give it to the Brit. And Allison, <laughs> for the whole award season, was saying... It's Laurie Metcalf. Every single, every single award. It's like, oh, Laurie Metcalf is going to get it. And then Allison would get it. And then you go to the next one. She's like, well, this one is going to Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> and, you know, the BAFTA, she's like, no, they're all saying it's Laurie Metcalf. And I'm like, finally, the last one, it was the Independent Spirit Award. She's like, well, this one is going to Laurie Metcalf. I'm like, Laurie Metcalf didn't get anything. <laughs> she's going home alone, you know? But then at the Oscars, you're just like hoping and hoping, you know? And then when they finally said, you know, the winner is, ah, for Allison, it was like, yeah. oh, thank God. And I remember I was trying to just be like, you know, great for her and be there for her. And I, I remember we got it. We stood up. She kissed Margot, who was sitting in front of us. Then she came back and kissed me. And then she threw her purse at me, which I wasn't <laughs> expecting. And I did catch it on the second one, you know. And when I caught it on the second one, I was looking. I was like, oh, I'm standing on her dress. And I look up, and she goes back like this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like terrible. So I get off and she goes up on stage and I look over at Frances McDormand who is sitting across from me and she's just like laughing her head off at me. <laughs> she's like, you're a mess. You know? And I was. Uh, and then Allison wins and you're watching your friend who you've known forever who I wrote that part for her to get an Oscar and she got an Oscar. It was just the most surreal thing and really really emotional and then you know she wins and she has that great speech and then she goes off and it's a commercial and Margot turned around and she has tears in her eyes and I have tears in my eyes and we just sort of like spontaneously stood up and like hugged in the aisle because it was really really emotional and we must have been hugging for a really long time (laughs) because the next thing I know Jennifer Lawrence is hugging us (laughs) what (laughs) what and I think I think Emma Stone did too. <laughs> and then I was like, "This is like a lot," you know. It was a, it was crazy. And then really, what what Margot did because Margot's the hero of the story because I was kind of freaking out, you know, like what just happened? And it's like a lot of adrenaline, you know. And she saw what was happening with me, and she just grabbed my hand and she grabbed her mom's hand and she took us 
to the back of the section, the orchestra section that we're sitting in. And she was saying to her mom, she was like, you don't understand. Like, Stephen wrote this part for Allison. He's never had her in a movie before. And he's like, no, it's going to be her or no one. He doesn't have any power. You know? <laughs> and she's like telling the story. And I'm like, and then what happened? <laughs> you know? Didn't get her? Because you know? when you hear someone else tell, tell your story, it's, it's, well, anyway, it was fascinating to me. Now, we can say we enjoyed, we actually shared your moment because you were on camera on the Oscars while we were watching it. So we saw a lot of yeah, the Alice. I, I saw those pictures and people say, oh, it's like, uh, I don't know. All I see when I look at that is like, I look like I was out on a tear the whole week beforehand <laughs> because I was out on a tear <laughs> the whole week beforehand because there's all these parties and you go because you want to go. And how anyone looks good at the Oscars, I have no idea, because I just thought I had a 400-pound head. <laughs> All right, well, we have time for a couple audience questions. So well, my, my guys will run a mic to you. I'll uh, uh, go right there. Hi. Hi. Um, I was curious as for you kept talking about how this was a very different kind of writing experience for you, because you don't do interviews and stuff like that. Um, and I also love Hope Floats. I watched it as a kid. Um, but uh, I was curious to know how this process worked for you and how, what were the major difficulties that you ran into with this different kind of writing piece? And how um, you went about that? It was hard because it's, it's a lot. I mean, you're telling a true story, so you feel like you have to be true to everybody's point of view. Uh, and it's, it takes place over like 40 years, you know, and so you have to tell it quickly and you have to be entertaining. So it was a lot of balls to throw in the air and juggle, you know, but I, I kind of, I think I kind of like that. I think it, it distracts me, you know, from, it doesn't come easy to me, you know, I mean, I, I do it because I'm stubborn and I'll get through it, you know. Um, also, I was kind of trying to very intentionally reinvent myself, you know, because I, I was known for just doing one kind of movie and I, I never felt like I was just one thing, ever, you know, um, and so I was very consciously trying to do something very different, you know, for me, and break rules and, and, and establish myself as, as something that, you know, in a way that they didn't see me. And it really did go from, you know, people would say, the same people would say, Stephen Rogers, he's got no edge, you know, and now they're like, we have to get someone edgy like Stephen Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same person, you know. Hi. So Hi. what went into the decision to go back and forth between the fourth wall and a voiceover narrative? Um, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but it's just a really interesting aspect of the screenplay that I absolutely adore. I'd love ah. to hear about it. Um, it, I had it, I had it. I had it in the original screenplay, but Craig really went with it a lot more when he, w when he was you know, uh, working, once he came on board. And again, it was, it was the feeling that those are the two things that I already said. It was the feeling of, of, of sort of distancing Tanya while the abuse is going on. And it was also me trying to break the rules, you know, because I felt like they were all rule breakers, you know. And I wanted to, and it was rebellious, and I wanted to rebel against the studio system, you know, myself. Hi. Um, so for me, this was, um, so you talked about, you know, that it's about humans and people are messy, but to me it was a movie about gender and social class, and so I was wondering, you know, how you portrayed her character as, you know, is she just a victim of her circumstance versus personal responsibility and sort of balancing those aspects? Yeah, I mean, what I liked about Tanya, her story, is that she was, you know, 
unapologetically redneck, which is her word, yeah. you know, in a sport where the judges want you to be this very old-timey, pageanty version of what they say a woman is supposed to be. And she just said, I can do the pedal. They got to give me the pedal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I really liked, you know, and, and never apologized for being poor, which really I feel was her crime. That's what they could not forgive. You know, the fact that she had to do homemade costumes and that she was poor. That's, that's what it was, you know. Um, and it hasn't, I mean, has it changed that much? I don't, you know, uh, I don't really watch enough figure skating to know, you know. Uh, but, I mean, that, I, I like that part of it. And also she was so young, you know, because I know for me and I think a lot of people, when you're that young, all you want to do is fit in. You know, and then later when you're older, you're like, no, I don't want to fit in. I want to stand out. You know, I want to be unique. I want to be myself. But when you're that age, you don't. And she was that at that very young age. So, I mean, there was stuff that I liked about her. Hi. So there was that moment in the film where she breaks fourth wall and says, you know, I went from being loved to being hated to being the butt of a joke. And then accuses us of being her abusers. Yeah. I was a kid when this happened, right? But I had mag- magazine subscriptions. I laughed at this. Yeah. And I felt like a real palpable moment of guilt. For well, that's this. what we were, yeah. Yeah, we were, so, that's what we were told. So yeah. I'm just wondering when you were making this, as you were doing these interviews and talking and getting like deeper into these people's psychologies and, and personal experiences, was there ever a moment of that kind of guilt for you? And when was that? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, that moment. I love that moment. It's my one. Brechtian moment in the, <laughs> in the script. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like we all did do that. You know, I did it. I, I remember just, you know, thinking like, you know, what is going on? And, and laughing and, and, and because we were only, that's what we were fed. That's what we were told. You know, it's like we didn't get a very nuanced picture. It was the first time that there was a 24-hour news cycle and everyone just wanted to be in it and just have a story. And, you know, that's what we were fed, and it, it's too bad because, as I don't want to say audience members for the news, but you know, as, as you know, the audience who's watching, it's like we deserve a better, more nuanced, you know. And some do it; some newsmen do, and they go in depth and stuff. But I, I always felt like you know, there was more there. Once if you go a little bit deeper, the story is just like it's just so much more, you know. But we weren't given nuance, you know. It was here's the villain, and here's the princess, you know, and that was that. You know? So, yeah, we all did. Don't feel bad. <laughs> You're welcome. I did it for you. <laughs> we, uh, we always end our show with the same last question. Oh, is it that James Lynch? Yep, yep. But since we're going to rebel a little, since it's a Tanya Hardy movie, so I can't just follow the script. Okay. So what movie or script inspired you as a screenwriter? Well, I would say it would be I, Tanya. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I mean, there's so many. There's so many. Uh, I know that I wanted to be James Brooks. Oh. I really, really did. But I, I, you know, I just, I think Broadcast News is one of the best movies, best written movies ever. And it holds up. And if you haven't seen it, see it. You know, it's a complicated story about people, you know, and it's not easy. And it's not, it's not... <clears throat> You know, it, I don't want to ruin the end, but it's not conventional, you know. Well, I thought we'd end the evening quoting the wise words of you, uh, your scripted character, Tanya Harding. Uh-huh. Every Q&A has their own truth, and life just does whatever the f*** it wants. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you, Steve Rogers, for joining us tonight. Thank you. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.